Hey, everybody, welcome back to another edition of DPH Clinical. I got the guys from Colorado Surgical Institute again, and we're going to have a humbling episode today. We're going to talk about, last episode, we talked about some common mistakes from the course, and I thought today it would be cool kind of just to share some war stories of our cases that didn't turn out the way we wanted them to and what we learned from them. And just like you, I'm sure Tahir and Dr. Brisky also have these issues and have earned their colors, I guess, to say. I'm just going to pass the mic to you guys, whoever wants to go first. I think I would start this discussion actually from our last full arch course. I was talking with a lot of doctors and we were talking about just growing and placing more implants, doing more cases and how to like learn from those cases. And what I cautioned them was being humble about your surgeries and whether it's the patient's fault or if it's your fault that the failure happened. Because I feel a lot of the time and I say this at every course that I feel like a lot of the time we're very quick to blame the patient for a surgery not working out, but I really caution everyone to just be humble and also think that it could have been you too, right? Because there's definitely some cases looking back that I probably said, oh, it was the patient for sure, right? But I knew it was me. I just didn't say it, right? I knew that I either didn't place the implant deep enough or I I did something. I overdrilled. I didn't drill. I, I did something wrong here, right? And I think it's caution everyone to just really internalize those things and build a list of your implants and keep track of your complications. I actually kept track of all my complications up until probably 100, 150 implants because I was trying to figure out if I'm even ballpark to the periodontist down the street, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> you're worried until you're as good as the best people around you, right? And then once you are as good as them, you're not worried anymore. So... I think that's the one thing I like to tell people. When I was shortly out of school, like taking a bunch of CE courses, you go try new techniques, you're trying new things, and things are just going to happen that you almost can't cover everything in a course. And things will happen. And I used to have a running list in my phone of this is something that happened. I don't really know why, and I don't know what the best way to fix it is. And next time I took a course with whatever discipline that concerned, I would bring that up to whoever's teaching that course and say, hey, or talk to other people. What is going on? I... One of the things that I did in my career clinically is I said, if I don't understand something or I don't know what to do with something, I will at some point find out. I won't just keep repeating that mistake. So I think that's great for like new grads and people learning new stuff is never, ever settle for not having an answer. Yeah. Like most of the cases now, when someone sends it to me or Dune, we can like spot it across the room what the complication is. We're like, it's this. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, we've seen so many now. It's just like, we know what it is. And after teaching in a course, it's like, we know what it is now. But not everyone's like that yet, which is fine. But our goal is to try to get people there, right? Yeah. Paul, that's like really such a good thing that you were doing at such a young age. I would recommend everyone who comes to the course do that. And I mean, I can't make guarantees, but I can almost promise that anything you come across within these surgical things, me and Brisky can help you solve. I would love for an attendee to bring that list to me and for me to be able to kind of distill through all of it and just go through the checklist and answer all those questions. That would be awesome. Yeah, it's hard to be humble like that, right? But bring it to us. It's a safe place. But what you saying, Paul, like some of those one-offs, right? There was an article that someone posted last week, I remember. They were adding up the failures that they can attribute to the manufacturing process of an implant. I thought that was really interesting. And it was just kind of proving that there are some errors even in the manufacturing process. So maybe we don't blame the patient, we blame the manufacturer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to debate club the other side and be like, dude, patients 
do not listen to post op instructions. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Also, make sure that you understand, like, hey, they're not going to do everything you ask them to do. They need to meet you halfway. If they don't do that, don't internalize it so much that it makes you feel like you're bad at what you're doing because patients will go back home and destroy your work and you're fighting that battle for them as well. Mm -hmm. But even suturing, right? So I've learned just over the years of just suturing so many, so many cases that there are actually a small percentage of patients that will open everything no matter what you do. It's very small, right? And I think that we can all become so good at getting passive closure and so good at our suturing that nothing opens, right? But you'll still get a small percentage where you're going to be like, shit, what did I do wrong, right? And you actually didn't. It was the patient. Yeah. I had a patient for two years that would come in for his ortho checks and would remove the wire and say it fell out. <laughs> All the donuts be off, wires, both wires out. I, I don't know. I'm like, when did it come out? I don't, I don't know. I'm like, dude, you grabbed it. You know yeah. this. I talked to his mom. She's like, like impossible. I dude, I'm like, there's no yeah. way. He's like, it just fell out. I'm like, dude, come. I wouldn't display that case. We just at some point said we're done. And we just, we yeah. slapped retainers on. He would never wear, so. God bless that kid. He's going to go places, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. Well, worst complications or just like humbling moments? Let's humbling moments. Whatever, whatever you're willing humbling to share. Moments. I had a double arch on a patient. So she was patient for years, 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 and years. And I, I met her when I acquired the place. And I just, she had decay everywhere, did a bunch of her crowns. She came back. She disappeared for a little bit. She was a paramedic, came back a little bit, and rampant decay. I was like, what in the hell happened? You disappeared for two years, and you've rotted everything out worse than I've seen in any scenario. And so she was on lupus meds. So we made the decision, like, hey, we're either going to endo build up and crown and crown lengthen 20 out of your 28 remaining teeth and probably crown the other eight, or we can talk about full arch. So we did full arch. Now, the lupus treatments, one of them was methotrexate. I do the the research. I call the rheumatologist. I'm like, all right, can we get her off of this? And so on and so forth. And the rheumatologist was like, no, we usually keep them on it. Everything will be fine. When we send to orthopedics, we keep them on it. In my gut, I was like, "I, I would prefer her off of it. But I was like, okay, well, I did my med check. Everything was fine. The rheumatologist was cool. Let's do it. And she just did not heal like the wound healing inhibition. It's a small, it's like a less than a 1% chance that this can lead to an osteomyelitis, but that's exactly what happened. So wound healing was inhibited. Incision lines wouldn't close on one side. The infection goes through a socket into the IAN. So now we can't clean the infection out because it's inside of the canal with the nerve in it. And so we had to put a pick line to this infectious disease we get all the samples, we send it in, we put her on a pick line. So she's administering all her meds. Thank God she's a paramedic. So she understands how this works. It took like two years to fix the case, all because I didn't stand my ground and be like, hey, just take off the methotrexate until I'm done with my surgery. It's one of those things where you know in the literature what's going to happen. You don't deal with these types of patients all the time. And then you call the physician, you think the physician knows better because they're the one treating them and understand pharmacology better. It's like, no, they don't. Make sure you stand your ground and don't let someone else quarterback your case because you're the one repairing it for however long it takes. 
I love when you send for like the physician consult or you send a form and they use like such poor penmanship. It's like they're flicking you off with their handwriting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. What kind it's, of freaking clutches are these? Stupid dentist. <laughs> Not a real doctor, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. I'd say like my scariest thing was I was taking out a 27. I was doing a full arch extraction, no implants, but just an old lady and I broke off the root tip on 27 and I just wanted it. And I was just drilling it out and it just started bleeding like crazy. Like where I turned around to get graft material and that whole mouth was full of blood and held it and I grafted it and I sutured it and I held it and it stopped. I never did that again. (laughs) So, so now in that case with the little one right there, like I'm starting to assess like, you know what, we might just leave that little root tip and if it works its way up, we'll get it out. If it gets infected, we'll worry about it then. And I would say the number of times I've done that, it's kind of, usually it's working itself out. I can't think of any time where it hasn't worked out, where it hasn't worked its way up to the crust of the bone, and then you take it out a year later, or I can't think of any times it's actually got infected and been a problem, to be honest. Yeah, essentially, it's just root banking. Dude, less is more. And sometimes, like, doing less is absolutely the benefit to everyone involved, including yourself. But just to pull on the thread of, like, stopping a bleed, if it's a soft tissue bleed, get hemostats. If there's a patient who I know is going to bleed, I have like four or five hemostats clamped to their patient bib. And then I'll just go in there and clamp the vessels in the soft tissue with the hemostats. And then if it's a bone bleed, you can get a bovi. If you don't have a bovi, you can just get a burr and put on a diamond burr on it, turn the water off, and you can just cook the bone. So you're basically pushing the diamond drill into the bone, running it with no water, And you know that smell of like burnt dentin? You get the smell of burnt bone and it just burns the bone bleed clothes too. So that's always an option. Hmm, Interesting. People always ask me what type of marketing we do at the practice to see on average 165 new patients each and every month. And I always say the same thing, reviews. And more importantly, I rank high on Google. You may have heard me talk in the past about how my practice's website and Google search ranking has been the most beneficial element to my practice's growth. Well, I've been happily working with the same marketing person for the past four years, and now you can too. Relevance Online Marketing will take you from non-existence to the top of the pack using their revolutionary approach to SEO and pay-per-click advertising. No contracts, no BS, and only the results that you can take to the bank. So if you are looking for a marketing company that gives your practice the attention and care it deserves, look no further than Relevance Online Marketing. Mention Dental Practice Heroes and get your first month free, risk-free, with absolutely no obligations. Relevance Online Marketing will take your online marketing from zero to hero. Go to RelevanceOnlineMarketing.com and set up a demo today. That's RelevanceOnlineMarketing.com and gear up for some real practice growth. How about you, Brisky? Big failure case? Okay, I'll tell this He's one. like making it up now. He's like, I've never failed. No, no. <laughs> He's like, I'm perfect. I was valedictorian at my high school, Harvard graduate. <laughs> I fail at not knowing when to stop being I great. did all my homework and then oh. I volunteered. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I had a patient I did a full arch on, and surgery went great. She's in her temps. She came back and... Four out of her six implants failed. So I was thinking, what the hell went on here? So what happened? I don't understand this, right? So I asked her, I was like, hey, and I do this now for every patient. When I try to figure out if they're following their diet, I tell the patient, I said, hey, 
your teeth look so amazing. This is me going in. And I know all our implants failed. And I said, Hey, your teeth look freaking amazing. Like what do you, you must be so happy that you've been able to smile again and chew again. And I tell him, well, Hey, what are some foods that you've been eating? And she got all smiling and she was like, Oh yeah, I've been biting into apples. I've been eating ribs. I've been, she told me like the laundry list of foods. And I do that as a pop quiz nowadays because I want to try to figure out what they've been eating. I try to trick them into being honest with me by telling them how awesome they look. And most of them will just like forget that they forgot to tell me honestly, right? So when they do lie to me, I look at them like, aha, I got you, right? Like you told me, you told me exactly what you were eating and you messed up, you fucked up, right? Mm -hmm. So now I can lecture them on (laughs) what not to do. But this lady had all of her implants fail because of the foods that she was eating, actually. She was biting into apples the day after the surgery. And we had all the anterior implants failed. And I was like, oh my God, what do I do now? So I went in and I took all of those out and I put two new ones in and the ridge was so tiny, had this tiny little piece of bone left. And I put like two, three, five by 13s in. I was like, yes, got it in. I'm good. Just as I was finishing up the case, actually it was like towards the end of the case and I was getting ready to the suture. The patient was really light, and I remember the anesthesiologist, who it is, kept this patient light. Dude, Dune was that guy with the glasses. <laughs> you know the bigger guy? Him. <laughs> with the glasses. Yeah. 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 He would always keep his patients really light. And I was always struggling to see. So I put my thumb in his mouth, I opened his mouth, and I cracked the whole buckle plate off around the implants. I was like, oh, fuck, right? I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> and I still blame it on – it was my fault, but – I never asked uh-huh. for the anesthesiologist ever again because I was now paranoid that he would just not keep the patient sedated and I was going to do some sort of damage like that again. So I did that. I put a screw back in on the piece of bone and tried to pack it back in and graft it around it. And afterwards, she had another two implants fail before that I placed. I'm like, oh my God, this is like a trainer. Wow. I think, what do I do? So I ended up having to put her in an overdenture. Because I just couldn't get the implants to put her put it in her. And this is a long time ago. This is before I was doing like pterygoids and things like that, right? But I just remember that case. And I remember snapping that piece of bone off. And that haunts me to this day. Anytime someone puts their fingers in the mouth and opens the mouth, I think about that case. I'm like, oh my God. I got, I got very <laughs> Explain this to me. So you stuck your fingers in the patient's mouth and how? I just opened the mouth up, but there are green stick fractures because I basically expanded the bone. I expanded the bone, right? And I had to cut it both sides and I opened it up. And I did the bone expanders and I got two implants and like, thank God, right? Then after all that hard work, I opened the patient up because she wasn't sedated enough and I freaking snapped the bone off. And I was like, oh my God, I got so mad. It was the first time I almost like threw an instrument. I almost threw it at the anesthesiologist. I was so mad. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Why do you keep your patients sedated? I want to freaking do that. Yeah, it sounds like you were in an aggressive mood that day. I was very tight. Yeah, it was so very you, like went, you went home yeah. and kicked your dog and just. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that day. I yeah. remember that day, actually. Yeah. What do you remember? Yeah, that? Every Tahir, what though, do you remember about that day? Yeah. I want to hear. <laughs> I remember coming in the office and be like, dude, I freaking snapped the buckle bone off this case when I was done. I had to go back and fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the. Uh, the lesson is, hey, communicate with your anesthesiologist and mm-hmm. just like if they're not sedating the patient the way you need them, just ask. 
right? And the anesthesiologist can say, yes, I'll sedate more, or they can say, no, for whatever various blood pressure reasons, I can't push them any further, like you're going to have to make do. Like, Some will just push them as low as possible. And as a CRNA, this is mind boggling to me. I mean, us GPs are going to go slow, right? Like, that's what we're taught to do. We have moderate station licenses. But as a CRNA, you're not going to go as light as possible. <laughs> like you need to get the patient so they're not moving around and we finish the surgery effectively and quickly, right? So now I'm very hard on the CRNAs when they're not keeping the patient at an like appropriate level of sedation. I now say something very fast because I get worried about the sur- increased surgical time, the bill I'm going to have to pay now because the surgery time is longer, right? Because they're just screwing around in there. So lots of different lessons learned that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What do you got to hear? You got any more? I got one, but... I feel like our last one, you were taking some accountability, but it was kind of like more the doctor wouldn't take off the methotrexate. I want to hear oh, where you okay. screwed it Fair. up. Because my other one was going to be, well, the patient lied about SSRIs. So I got to like the third revision on her surgery and everything is failing catastrophically. So we placed 12 implants, one fails, which is the distal on the mandible. And then I go to repair it and I put two more in and those fail. And I put three more in and then those fail. I'm like, what the hell is going on? What are you on? And then she finally discloses that she's on uh, antidepressant. We're having all these freak failures and she didn't yeah, disclose any of this in her med history. But again, now I'm blaming the patient. So, oh man, which one did I actually like screw, screw up? You know, I think from a treatment planning perspective, I have several cases from way, way back in the day that I underreduced the bone. So then there's prosthetic lines showing and those patients are pissed. They smile and you see this huge lip of porcelain. And the tissue. And so I've redone those cases. I was like, hey, I got better stuff now. I own the lab. Let's get this fixed and let's bury some more implants and take care of them. So I've had to redo three cases over the past 10 years where prosthetic lines were a problem. And I had to eat crow and eat the whole bill and do it for free. And I was happy to do it. Those are the major ones is just inadequate treatment planning, inadequate bone reduction. And then one guy didn't take off a blood thinner, and dude, he bled so bad. Uh, it was such a nightmare suturing him up. It was horrible. Dude, dude, we had one a long time ago, like six years ago, when we were using a chrome guided. Remember that patient Dave's case where mm-hmm. we planned it with a lab, chrome smile stuff, and then you put it in the mouth and nothing fit. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was like, in the middle of ridge, but it was like really outside the palate. <laughs> you remember that one? And we prepped all the osteotomies and then everything was outside of the bone because <laughs> the guy didn't fit. <laughs> and so we had destroyed six sites to go place implants. And then we take the guide off and it's all screwed up. And now we have to start and go and like figure out places to get implants. <sighs> that was rough. dude. That's kind of where me and guides parted ways because the guy didn't fit properly. Yeah. I had one where my associates used to refer me implants and this was for number eight. It was grafted. It was extracted. And the patient's in my chair. He's already numb from my hygienist. And I look at the cone beam and I say, dude, that is going to be tough as hell. It is skinny. Can I get a three and a half in there? So I'm just like, well, too late now. He's already numb. He's not, he's going to be pissed if I don't go do it. I go in there and I do it. Sled thread that needle so perfect. We take the PA, we're high five and everything's great. We're going to let the patient out. I'm like, maybe we should take a comb beam. 
And we took oh, no. a comb beam, and that thing was so far out the buckle plate <laughs> that I had to go back in there and open it up and say, dude, like, he's like, well, can't you straighten it out? Yeah. I'm like, I cannot. It needs to heal. Like, I've destroyed the bone. <laughs> yeah. That was me learning that saying, like, dude, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, don't do it. I thought I was going to just get lucky, I guess. I thought I was overestimating my skills and thinking if I did a slow, really slow osteotomy that I could feel the cortical plate and I wouldn't go out of it. And no, we definitely went way out of it. But it turned out. Uh-huh. It took about a year and he got his tooth and he was happy and I lost some mm-hmm. sleep, but I'm, I'm okay now. I'm doing better. You know what? I, I feel better <laughs> yeah. after sharing. Yeah. I feel yeah. better. Yeah. This was a cathartic moment for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure, for sure. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. If you guys are interested in taking Tahir or Dan Brisky's courses, go check out coloradosurgicalinstitute.com. They got a number of courses and some openings coming up. Just that's the best place to go for the information. And then anything you guys want to add before we say goodbye? No, just look up the IV sedation course. We knocked that out of the park. I'm pumped about it. I think it's going to be like the next greatest thing. So I'm super excited about that. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Cool. Thanks, man. Thank you, man. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Dune from Colorado Surgical Institute. Just wanted to give you guys a shout out and let you know about the program. We have full arch surgeries. We have lateral sinus lifts. We have block grafting courses all done in one weekend with the whole digital workflow with photogametry units, scanners, 3D printers, milling, you name it, anything regarded to full arch, we cover in depth. We also have a PGCA course. What that is, it's the Postgraduate Clinical Accelerator course where we are going to be covering wisdom teeth, single implants, and it can be complex single implants with vertical sinus lifts. We'll also be covering full arch extractions with ridge reduction, bone grafting, PRP, suturing, and we also will have a course on socket preservation. So if you guys are interested in any of those courses, please reach out to us at Colorado Surgical Institute. The code is here.